This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check Verified, Jamar Tisby. What's up, brother? What's up? You always say the blue check, but you never get my Twitter handle. So it's like, okay. You, I, was I just believe you. Give, I gave mine. You got to give yours. I don't, I don't have the funny catchphrase. It's just, I'm just, I'm, I'm the deadpan guy, whatever. Yeah. I'm super thrilled, though, about this format. I'm just saying, I can't, I'm trying to get on your level. So we still have a live audience here. Live audience, make some noise. Where y'all at? Where y'all at? Again, we are here at Fellowship Memphis in the great city of Memphis with Pastor Jason Cook, who has uh, offered up this space to us. And we want to thank him. Give it up for him one more time in the church. Okay, so now we're going to do an AMA, which is basically ask us anything. We're going to fly through some questions. And again, whatever questions we don't get to, we'll use in a future episode or we can answer afterwards in person as well. So these are just some questions that you guys have given to us that you want to know. And we'll kind of ask each other these questions. You ready, Jamar? Oh, you going to throw it at me first? Yes, sir. Oh, I am. Okay. I'm going right. to throw it at the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check Verify. So, <laughs> Jamar. Yes. What eschatological hope do you have for the future of multi-ethnic churches. Woo. I can only talk. A real softball, right? <laughs> yeah, for real. I mean, if we're going to talk eschatological, right? Let's talk about God's vision for eternity. Revelation 5, 9, Revelation 7, 9, where people from every tribe and tongue and nation will gather. So we know the arc of history in terms of God's vision for the church. Which then, if we work backwards from that, then we ought to be (laughs) fellowshipping in a multicultural, multi-ethnic kind of way right now. The problem is sin and the specific manifestation of sin in terms of racism, which has kept us divided, right? And let's just get real, real. In the United States, segregation was a result of white supremacy. Okay, so the black church wouldn't exist without racism in the white church. I'm sorry if that offends, but we just need to look at the history, right? Absolutely. And and and, and until we acknowledge that, the hope for seeing a multicultural church now, in particular congregations, is going to be rough. So I think we got to start with truth telling. And the reality is... A lot of folks are still denying, deflecting, softening, minimizing white supremacy and racism in the church. And so if that is not dealt with, if it's not acknowledged and we don't feel the weight of it, then guess what? We can sit in the same room together. We can sit next to each other Sunday morning, but that's not real true reconciliation. Hmm. That's not true unity in the midst of diversity. That is going along to get along. That is uh, the kind of peace that's the absence of conflict, uh, but not the presence of harmony and justice. Right, right. So, so in terms of 
You said multicultural churches? Yes, multi-ethnic churches. Hope, brother, hope, hope. I'll say also this. I think there's a place for the black church. Okay. Unpack that. What does that mean? Mm. This is gonna give okay, we'll say that. We'll say that. Okay, all right. We'll say that. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. All right. I'm going to get you. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Here's your softball. What would reparational work look like in a city like Memphis, politically, ecclesiologically, et cetera? Wow. <laughs> well, Jamar, what do you think about reparational work in the city of Memphis? Is it reparational? So you got to talk about reparations. It's, it's very important for us, first of all, to know our history and to know the history of the city where you live. It's very important. Every city has a racial history. And even if your city doesn't have a racial history, that's a racial history. Okay, it's very important for us to know the, the movement, how you got here, and some of the, the things that have happened previously. Now, I'll say just for us, you know, in my city, one of the things that we've had to do is we've had to really hold those who we've elected accountable. Um, I think reparational work is outside of the partisan political tribes. Because if we stay in our partisan political tribes, we won't hold the people who, who need to be held accountable accountable. We won't do that. We'll give passes. So I think the first thing that we must do is we must get, after knowing the history, we must get out of this political mindset. It also restricts our imagination as well. Because we can only see what our party, what our group, what our tribe, um, what our social clique allows us to see. And that's not going to bring equity. So the question really is, what brings equity? And that really depends on where in Memphis is there inequity and where can the church be an agent of change, an agent of positivity? Uh, one of the things that we've done locally in Pensacola is there are people who have job empowerment and job training centers that work with churches that really train up those and give specific opportunities to groups of people that have been historically disenfranchised. But church can do that. The church can equip. The church can train. Um, you might not think that you can, but it doesn't take government legislation to give people opportunity. Hmm. You know, the church should be doing that. So that's the kind of just a short answer to a to a bigger, bigger question. Um, yeah. So you uh -oh. that Star Wars trailer, though, this is what it literally says. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Whoever wrote this. Thank you so much. I'll accept that. And then your turn is. Talk about, though, okay, so you talked about the church equipping its members. That Star Wars trailer, though. <laughs> what are you I want you, to, I want you to dig into that, though. Is there room for Christians to advocate politically and system, systemically for change? Yes. That Star Wars trailer, though. <laughs> yes, well, absolutely. Absolutely. There is room for Christians. And in particular, one of the things that churches have to do is churches can't ignore the political we just have to engage the political outside of partisanship, mm. outside of tribalism. But we can't ignore the political. And the political is not bad. Like, what if I told you it's not wrong to talk about politics, right? What if I told you it's not wrong to talk about the intersection of how your neighbor is fed, how your neighbor is educated, how your neighbor receives health care, how your neighbor has access to economic opportunity, how your neighbor is being redlined out of a zone for political gain? All those things are necessary for the church to educate. And if the church is not a place where we can educate and say, not only every, what did, what did Micah Edmondson say? He said, every individual sin has a social analog. So every individual sin that you're, you're talking about, well, it's a sin issue. It's a sin issue. Yes. And that is expressed in a social context, macro. So we have to, 
show. How does this individual sin affect our neighbors in ways that we might not understand? And so it's the job of the church to equip in understanding. Um, that Star Wars trailer, though. <laughs> no, you killed that. That's good. Thank you, brother. But what do you think about it? Okay. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched it. What'd you think? I'm not like, I, I can't oh, believe you threw it. that question to me. I did watch it. I watched it the first day and I shared it. You can check the receipts. So oh. it's there. It's there. But Whoa. like you and Bo are the are the geek squads. So. We'll get we'll get around to that. <laughs> Bo, we might bring Bo in to answer. Y'all want to hear Bo answer that? <laughs> Not right now, but later at the end. This is a question, Jamar. How can people in the African diaspora who subscribe to Christian teachings honor their ancestry, and reconcile the complex historical narrative that includes an introduction to the teachings of Christ through oppression. Y'all smart. (laughs) Run that back? How can people in the African diaspora who subscribe to Christian teachings honor their ancestry and reconcile the complex historical narrative that Mm. includes an introduction to the teachings of Christ through oppression. Mm, yeah. Okay. That's a great, that's a phenomenal question. How can you guys. trust the theology of a that's slave a phenomenal holder? phenomenal question. Yeah. Yes. Well, a couple of things. One, um, black people shouldn't think they know everything about race just because they're black. Like, it takes focused, intentional study, right? Now, now, now I'm not discounting the role of experience. If you're black, you've experienced race in a very personal way a lot of times. But that's not the end of the story. And so we need to be very careful about our sources, right? And so to my white brothers and sisters, just because somebody got a little bit of melanin in their skin doesn't mean they got a little wisdom in their head, okay? So so we've got to be, you know. Wow, wow bro. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we said no soapbox. <laughs> but, okay. but the first part of the question is, is, is educating ourselves about the African diaspora, which is a historical question, which history is simply context, right? right. And so as people of the book, if people, as people who love the Bible, yes. we love context. We want to know where the verse is, the chapter, you know, the, the, who wrote it, the historical time period. It's the same thing as we're trying to exegete our culture. We have to understand the context. And so that's where history comes into play. That's why I'm advocating intentional study. So pick up a book listen to a podcast, right. trusted people. So that's one thing is we knowledge is power. We got to equip ourselves with the truth and the truth will set us free. Okay. Um, beyond that though, I think we have to have a very respectful uh, for, for us black Christians in predominantly white spaces, a recovery and a respect for the black church tradition. Because the reality is we're not the first people asking this question. And Absolutely. honestly, yes. we're not asking this question we're asking this question in a detached way, right? But but our ancestors were asking this question as the white preacher is preaching to them, slaves obey your masters. And so the 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 the, the, the genius that God has worked in and through the black church is that they were able to hear that and 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 still grasp the gospel message. So we need to go back and look at how these folks did it. And they were in a lot worst situation as far as learning in a, in a, in a very hypocritical environment um, where they're slaveholders, where, where black people can't get ordained. Right. Or if they are, you can only preach to other black people. You I, know, I read a story in Henry Mitchell's book, Black Preaching, and he talks about how one particular black church called a man to come and be their pastor. And in exchange, what they did 
was they sent two of their deacons to become slaves so that he could be free and preach and be their pastor. And so what 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 they did was they exchanged themselves. They like went into slavery so that they could have a faithful pastor. Wow. Like that's what they were going through. Back so that's then. what we need to go back and study. Right. How did they do it? And that'll help us today. That's good, bro. All right. So here you go. And this is honestly very important and very timely as we record this, given what's happening in Hollywood. How would you explain the intersection of gender and faith in the midst of the gender revolution? Gender and faith in the midst of the gender revolution. Um, man, that's a great question. And I think one of the things is we have to wrestle with how that impacts us as, as black Christians, right? And so we did an episode on just misogyny and patriarchy and some of the ways in which we as men have perpetuated gender inequity and also perpetuated sin against our sisters in Christ and against our women. Especially black women. Especially black women. And so I think it's very important for us. I think we have to approach every social movement with caution. Every social movement should be critically analyzed as believers to make sure that that we're not buying wholesale what the culture gives to us. It is very tempting to to get caught up in the wave. And the wave is going to go up and down and there's a new thing every single week and there's a new issue to advocate for. And I believe in doing that, but I believe we must first be Bible people and we must get our inspiration and our passion for justice, not from a revolution in our culture, but from what the scriptures teach us about how we should live in this broken and fallen world. Be very careful, because I think sometimes we can trip into things critically, um, uncritically, and not realize what we're ascribing to. And how, and, and how does that play out in a particular way with gender? Yes, yeah, so I, I think... Many of us, there is, a, there is a, an overlap in racism and racial justice, and then there is almost a combined gender um, revolution and transformation in how we view the male and female, how mm-hmm. we view men and women as created in the image of God. And so I think there's a lot of complexity in that, but I will say that sometimes these movements have been packaged together. And while it is true that there is similar disenfranchisement, we would probably, if we're, you know, traditional in the, you know, sexual ethics, we probably fall a little bit different on some of those particular issues. And we're called to love, but we're also called to critically say, now, what does the scripture say? And how can we as believers communicate clearly, recognizing that on points of agreement, we can agree. And on points where there's divergence, we shouldn't shrink back because it's going to be unpopular. And listen to the episode, Kill the Culture Wars, for more context on that. Um, Jamar, this person is on staff at a church in Mississippi, mostly white. Racism is a problem for many members of in our Mississippi? church. Stop. Really? But, <laughs> but it's an issue that is avoided and loaded. Oh, it's, it's an issue that's avoided and labeled a liberal narrative. Thoughts for engaging Christians um, and others who are steeped in what they call willful ignorance. Yes, it is willful at this point because the knowledge is out there, right? So, so number one... And, and, and it seems so basic, but I actually had to, it took me years of, of wrestling with this to really grasp this realization that, that we're, we're up against spiritual strongholds, right? <laughs> right. Like that, what, what we're seeing with, with 
how entrenched racism and white supremacy is isn't isn't simply a failure of knowledge. That's a heart issue, right? And so we have to fight with spiritual weapons. And so if we're not praying our way through this, <laughs> we, we, we're going into battle without any weapons, right? Uh, so that's one thing that was just a paradigm shift for me because now when I interact with somebody who seems willfully ignorant, I know it's not simply a case of me marshalling the right facts in the right order to <laughs> right. convince them. Right? No, their heart has to be transformed. So I pray. What you saying? Like Facebook threads is not the way. It I was just saying. Those but, comment sections, man. Come on. But, but people doing work in them comment even sections. Even on top of that. <laughs> even when Why y'all laughing? It's true. People doing work. <laughs> even when you face to face, though, and you and you yeah. lay it out as clearly as you can, and you're just like, why doesn't this person get it? It's because it's a spiritual issue, not just an intellectual one, which is another problem, right? You want to talk about blind spots. We don't really, really treat racism as a sin. Because hmm. if we did, we would discipline it. We would be kicking folks out. We would be excommunicating people for unrepentant racism. We don't do that. Because we don't think, we don't honestly think it's a sin. We'll say it. We'll say, oh, this is bad, bad, bad. But then good, when it comes to somebody who in the face of all this evidence isn't changing their views, we say, oh, they're just from another generation. You know, and I just think that's unbiblical if it's, wow, if it's genuinely, genuinely a sin. So we got to deal with it on a spiritual level. We got to treat it like it's a sin. And then honestly, and this is going to, you know, not be the answer some people were expecting, but keep it moving. Like, here's here's what I mean. It doesn't mean give up on those people. It means show them a vision of what you're talking about. Show them a vision of what it means to be reconciled. Show them a vision of what it means to be united in the midst of diversity. And then they won't have an excuse because now you're not just talking. You're showing them a new reality. And so we've got to demonstrate that. In And so if you're in a predominantly white church, your personal life better look like a racially reconciled life for them, to Hmm. them. Hmm. So they know you're not just talking, right? And the, your concern for other people who are different ought to be evident. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, engage in those conversations. But I'll also say do it wisely because some people are arrogant. They're stiff-necked. Wow. I engage the folks who 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 really want to learn. They may disagree with me. Right. They may have, be coming from another. But if you if you actually want to have a conversation and you're open, cool. But if you just want to get into this polemical disagreement, I don't have time for that. Right. I don't. That's interesting. I said no soapboxes, bro. Right. That's what we said. I, you said I need to be taller. So, yeah. <laughs> Here's yours. When do we get to hear Tyler's thoughts on the villain from Black Panther? Someone really wrote that. <laughs> so they really wrote. Y'all going to the Black Panther movie, right? February 16th. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, So what I think is that Black Panther is going to have multiple villains. So there's going to be Claw, Ulysses Claw, who you guys will will find out about. You've already found out about, actually, in Age of Ultron. He got his hand cut off. He becomes Ulysses Claw. Then you also have um, Mabaku, who was originally called Man-Ape, which wasn't a great... Mm. Somebody wasn't thinking in the Marvel department when they called him that. <laughs> and then you have his main villain which is Eric Killmonger. So Killmonger's played by Michael B. Jordan. 
And Killmonger is basically like the antithesis to Black Panther, but he has a little bit more complexity. And so the reason why I brought that up in the live episode with Truth with Tables is because I think some people are going to look at Killmonger if they do him right. And they're going to agree with him. <laughs> I think some people are going to agree. I think some people are going to look at him and be like, he actually has a point. Okay. Because in the comics, he does have a point, and he has a long arc, too. Um, you can look that up you know, on Wikipedia if you want to find out what that arc is. But I think if they do it right, he's going to become a character that can do something that they haven't done with Marvel villains outside of Loki. <sighs> like, mm. he can become kind of this interesting character i won't get into the spoilers but he can become kind of a character that's beloved by people so huh always grateful for our resident blur uh, okay <laughs> just a couple of more questions um this is a good one how do you respond to people of color who deny the existence of systemic injustice and white supremacy so you talked about it earlier everybody who is black doesn't necessarily understand race right so how do you respond to that you said be suspicious you said be 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 critical yeah but that's especially, I think that's also especially interesting for our white brothers and sisters, because how are we going, you know, they're kind of thinking like, what are we supposed to say? Right, right. Well, I mean, there, there's, there's always the question behind the question, right? And okay. so I'm wondering why you deny it, okay? Especially if you're a person of color. And so it could be that the person hasn't experienced it. So then the conversation is, well, do you have to have experienced something to believe that it's true? Because I don't think you have to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or, and we... This is sort of just my musings. I think that in various ways, sorry, in various ways, black people try to transcend the negative stereotypes of blackness. <laughs> but we do it in different That's ways. Good, bro. Right? So some of us do it through a recovery of the dignity of blackness and say black is beautiful. Or in my embodied self with the with the with the skin God gave me. That's on purpose, and that's part of God's beautiful diversity and creation. And I don't think black people who who deny systemic racism would necessarily deny that in principle or theory. But I think what they're doing is trying to distance themselves from anything associated <laughs> with blackness. <laughs> and, good, and so they their attempt to transcend the negative stereotypes of blackness is to reject everything that smacks of blackness, right? right? They transcend their their very existence. Yeah, it, it, it's OJ. <laughs> I'm not black. I'm OJ. Okay, you know. So so you so, get in trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, know what Jamar got in the playlist? <laughs> hey hey, we 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 talked about codes before, but um, so so how do I talk to them? I mean, again. Are they approaching me in a spirit of real dialogue? Because a lot of folks, and here's the other thing, online, a lot of folks just want to get attention by attacking you. So they, the way they get likes and retweets and follows and all of that is to go after somebody mm. knowing that it's a hot button issue. I don't play with that. Just whatever. I keep it stepping. But if you're approaching me, you really want to have a dialogue. That's another conversation. And if you want to do that, I mean, I can march you through the history. I mean, right. I'll just start with describe reality. Well, the history I don't think is is people's difficulty. I think it's the 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 idea that we've transitioned now. We passed this. But I would walk gold, them back. this golden shore. I would try to start now. You can right do podcasts, and now you got all this opportunity, and we got a black president, and we got this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would start with housing segregation. Okay. 
Look at the demographics of your city. Mm-hmm. Why does it Why? tend toward, you know, higher percentages in this neighborhood and this in that neighborhood? Oh, it's just preference. People wanted to just live by people where they are. Okay. You sure? Yeah, exactly. You know, and then walk them back. Are you sure? Because mm-hmm. in this zip code, everybody is below this income level. How did that happen? Right. And and you got to understand, like you said before, which Brother Micah said, even individual sins work themselves out socially right. and legally. Yeah, I'll also say, man, if if you're dealing with a person of color who um, denies the existence of systemic injustice and white supremacy, and has also been, but but has also been trained in just lived in predominantly Christian circles, they probably haven't heard the history. They probably have heard a half history. So please bear with them. Um, I'll say this, man. When I was young, my parents and I used to have these knockdown drag outs. Well, I would tell them that systemic injustice does not exist. Like, I'm like, come on, what are you talking about? And they weren't even like on some tip. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. revo- they weren't revolutionaries by any stretch. Yeah. They were just like, yeah, no racism exists. Like, I just, <laughs> nah, because see, like, this is what happens and that's what, and they're like, uh, no. And it took me a while, not, not only to live, but to come to a realization. And, and especially now, I think, they were very gracious. <laughs> they were very, very gracious with me and not making me feel dumb, but also, you know, letting me figure that, this out on my own while loving me through that. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of people in Christian circles, they don't know. Can we talk about the, 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 the liberalism refute? Because that's something I see all the time where when you start I, talking I've about never, systemic- I've never been called a liberal. I've never been called a liberal. <laughs> And they'll interchange words, right? Marxist, liberal, I've never been called whatever, you know. That's a straw man, right? Right. It, it, it's a boogeyman. Right. And, and as soon as you toss that out there, it kind of ends the conversation because all of a sudden you, you lose theological legitimacy. That's right. what they're trying to do. Right. Is say, you're, you don't have uh, biblical integrity because you're talking about these mm. things. When that's not the case <laughs> at all, right? And so you got to take them... Back to the scriptures a lot of times. A lot of liberals in the scriptures then. Yeah. <laughs> um, and But we got to recognize it for what it is. Right. Okay. And then when you go back and check some of their sources in terms of who they're learning history from, who they're learning theology from, and that's problematic. But when all you do is say that something you disagree with is unorthodox, we can't have a real conversation. Right. Because right. you're not even engaging with, with intellectual yeah. integrity. Yeah, lots of sources that the sources are are an issue. Yeah, keep going. I mean that. I mean that's basically it. But I just so so back in the day they used to call you a communist because what communism was the implication was you were not patriotic, you were atheistic, and you wanted racial amalgamation. That was the those were the implications in Christian circles. Right now they'll call you a Marxist, right? Right, because the wall fell or an ethnic Gnostic. Or an ethnic, yeah. Um, but the implications are the same. If I call you a Marxist, that implies uh, uh, a lack of patriotism. Right. That implies a godless philosophy. Sure. And that implies a, a focus on like identity politics, right? When all of that, again, is just a straw man, it shuts down conversation. Sure. Like, let's take that label away and let's actually dialogue about it. Right. It's just disingenuous. <laughs> Soapbox tizzo. Here you go. 
What do you say to a person who insists that justice is only for heaven? I had a recent intense conversation and the person said I was trying to gain the world, but losing my soul. Wow. <laughs> said he was trying to gain the world, but losing your soul. Wow. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be calm. <laughs> <laughs> there, is a, there is a frustration and a cost with speaking about justice and speaking about the fair treatment of other people and human beings. And what I, what I tend to see is that we have this thing, and I talked about it in the previous podcast um, where we did live, where you know, we have this just preach the gospel wave, you know, just preach the gospel, just preach the gospel. And then we also have a, a subsequent wave as well um, within my stream, which is non-denominational, more charismatic, which is you know, just believe, just believe God, right? Just let go and let God. And so there's this disengagement with humanity. Um, I'd say, first of all, implicitly, Jesus met people in physical places where they were. And he met people in real life situations. It was not in the abstract, but it was at a well. It was over a dinner table. It was in a synagogue. It was in the marketplace. And when we recognize that Jesus meets people, if Jesus were going to simply bring the kingdom, why did he not just stay in the synagogue then? But he meets people where they're hurting, where they're hungry, where they're thirsty. And then when we look at the expanse of biblical commands within the Old Testament that tell us to defend those who are less than, to defend those who are considered less than, to defend those who are widows and orphans and fatherless, how do you fulfill these commands while thinking that that's just for heaven, right? We know that the actualization of that comes in heaven, but it's unfaithful. It's, it's poor stewardship. I think it's, it's, to be honest, almost not worthy of a response mm-hmm. because I think those people are determined to misunderstand you and those people are not going to pursue what the Bible clearly tells us to do. And that's to love our neighbors and love looks tangible. You know, there's so much to say on that. You mind if I- Go ahead. I mean, I mean, number one, Christianity has a very high view of the material world. God dug into the ground and breathed life mm-hmm. into clay and made humanity, right? And he gives us good things to enjoy, taste and see that the Lord is good. This, this visceral, tangible experience of reality. And he has created the body such that if your physical body dies, mm-hmm. your soul transitions. Yeah. It's that important. And we cannot separate those. So the people who say justice is for heaven are creating an artificial distance between the body and the soul and the well-being of the one and the other. The other thing is Jesus demonstrated a sacrificial openness. And so a lot of times I think the people who who are saying this really have a a distance from those who are truly suffering materially, right? Absolutely. And if, if you don't ever see them. You go to a different school, you live in a different neighborhood, you you only watch one news outlet. It's going to be easy to ignore their concerns in terms of justice. But Jesus had the sacrificial openness to where he would even be associated and experience the injustice they experienced, experience the pain they experienced, right? Um, And so I just, it doesn't, it doesn't doesn't work. It's not biblical. It doesn't work. It's not biblical. I got so, one. I got a question for you, Jamar. Okay. Well, they gave us the cue. All right. Well, it's okay. going to be like it's just two minutes. Okay. All right. What's next for Rand? 
What's this? Somebody say liar? Who is this? Ellie, <laughs> <laughs> they were really? on staff. Like, Aaron, really? I don't know. What's how next we, for Ram, man? I don't know what you want me to say. What's next, Ram? man? I mean, we, we can't say anything Let it out specifically. The bag. We can't say anything specifically, but I will say, nah. <laughs> when is this episode coming out? But no. Um, right. Now, you don't have to get into the particulars, but what's what's next? What's on your heart? Right. For the future of Ram. I mean, I'm, I'm, and I think people are, are seeing us do it right now, but what I'm sensing is the ground has shifted beneath us, right? When we started RAN in 2011, that was before Trayvon Martin was killed. That was before, uh, uh, Ferguson. That was before Black Lives Matter, the Emmanuel Nine, Charlottesville, the current presidency. And so a lot has happened that has changed the conversation nationally. Sure. And I think even churches, you know, conversations about race and justice are, are, are more likely to happen now than they were five or six years ago, which is a good thing. But within the current sort of predominantly white evangelical construct, there's this separation. It's just, it's, it's just preach the gospel mentality, right? And so what I think people are hungering for is that, is that, is that marriage between evangelism and activism between faith and justice, between hope for heaven and thy kingdom come. And so I think, Ran, what we want to do is fill that space and say, look, those those things are not at odds with one another. Right. Uh, they flow from one another. Mm-hmm. And so we want to preach what I would call a holistic gospel, right, That 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 takes into account people's physical lives and talks about what does it create, what does it take to create equity, in our world. Uh, at the same time, we have a supernatural hope um, and a spiritual hope. So I think that's one of the things that we're doing. Another is that we're the Reformed African-American network. <laughs> I mean, and and I think for so long, we, we or I have felt like we need to apologize for that focus. And I don't think we need to do that. That's good, bro. Because the reality is there's particular concerns and context that that african-americans are in that aren't being addressed by the mainstream and if we don't do it then a lot of times it won't go addressed and so we just hope that people will recognize that and will want to come and learn i don't care what your race or background is but understand and we've said this for years specific does not mean exclusive but we are specific and i think there's a need for that so What's next for Rand? I think we're simply leaning into that more and more. That's good. Y'all have fun tonight. Thank you guys so much for joining us at the live Pass the Mic, our first. We should do this again sometime, Jamar. That would would be good. That would be good. Maybe we will. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.